The UK's governing party choosing a leader for the second time this year to replace Liz Truss. Can a new Conservative Prime Minister restore economic confidence, or should early elections be held? I'm Sami Zaydan, you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyse and help define major global stories. Well, let's bring in our guests. They're all joining us from the UK. In London, we have Afzal Khan, a member of the British Parliament for the Opposition Labour Party. In Salisbury, Peter Oborn, a political commentator and associate editor at the Middle East Eye. And also in London, Alex Dean, a Conservative Party member and political commentator. Well, welcome to you all. If I could start then, first of all, with Afzal. So, Afzal, can, do you think, another internal Conservative Party vote produce stable leadership for the UK? I don't think so. I think fundamentally we must be absolutely loud and clear that the party itself is badly fractured and it's just very same people. It's just having a revolving their door here. Uh, how will they make a difference? These are the very people who have been responsible for what we're going through, the whole mess. Uh, we've been made a laughingstock for, to the world. So I don't think uh, just going through the same uh, people getting a new person will make any difference. Let's take that point to Alex. Alex Afsal mentioned the revolving door. It, looking at the names of the likely candidates for the job of Prime Minister, you get the feeling is the Conservative Party running out of options when a name like Boris Johnson is back in the running again? Not just back in the running. I didn't think this 48 hours ago, but now I must say that I think uh, Boris Johnson's the most likely person to uh, win this contest. And I think, first of all, that's because of something that Paul was reflecting in the piece that we just heard. And I thought his reporting was very accurate, if I may say. Uh, Conservative Party members of Parliament will not want an election. Um, it would go badly for them, I think, if there were to be one called anytime soon. There's a great deal of challenge, as we just heard from the Labour Party, as to whether a new leader would have a democratic mandate, you know, a third prime minister in a single year. Well, that argument dissipates somewhat if it's Boris Johnson, who, of course, won an 80-seat majority at the last election in 2019. So whatever you think of him, I think right now the Conservative Party is most likely to select our former Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. That's kind of an incredible situation, isn't it, Peter? Do you agree with that? Who do you think at this moment is best placed to win the contest? And if it is Boris Johnson, what does that say about British politics? What it says about Conservative politics is, is that Greyland wonderful thing in a way. I, Mr Boris Johnson is a proven and habitual liar who was sacked by his own party for lying only and only three months ago. And yet here we and are, yet, Peter, talking about him possibly coming back, though. And uh, Alex Dean, I mean, no normal person. If, you know, if you were a local bank manager or the man who ran your local village shop or whatever it may be, had been sacked three months ago for compulsive lying on a repeated and systematic basis, it would be absolutely unbelievable that he would be reinstated in that job three months later. But Alex Dean is completely right. It does look, um, for very interesting reasons, that the Mr Johnson has a reasonable chance of uh, becoming Prime Minister this time next week, because that's when the nominate, well, that's when this contest ends. That is quite a situation, quite a turnaround if that comes true. Uh, I want to go back to Alex Dean and ask this question. If it is Boris Johnson, whoever it is, 
Will the next Prime Minister be able to unite the Conservative Party, let alone the country? Because the divisions are much deeper than personalities, right? It's a really fair question, Sammy. And of course, a number of the members of Parliament that uh, will be asked to back a Boris Johnson government are the very people that Peter O'Bourne rightly said expressed no confidence in him only a few short months ago. I think the most generous phrase we might apply to uh, their position might be situational flexibility. And I think we, we're going to see some uh, of that if they realise that Boris Johnson is the new uh, Prime Minister and they um, prefer to keep their seats and not to incur the wrath of their own associations. Of course, the Conservative Party has local associations which produces uh, their nominees to be members of Parliament. Then they're going to back uh, Boris Johnson as Prime, Prime Minister, at least uh, at the beginning. But you're, you're, the thrust of your question is absolutely right. With no disrespect meant to the Labour Party, who's doing their best to oppose and are, are flying in the polls right now, it's clear that the biggest danger to a Conservative Party Prime Minister is the Conservative Party's members of Parliament. They've done now for three Prime Ministers in a row. And when you'll find agreement between me and our Labour Party Member of Parliament uh, on, on air with me now, is that it makes the Conservative Party look ridiculous. You know, we're tearing down leader after uh, leader. Consider Theresa May, Boris Johnson, now Liz Truss. The Conservative Party in Parliament has destroyed three leaders in a row. And this flows nicely, I guess, to the next question. Let me take it to Afzal. Will the Conservative Party be able to withstand the pressure for an early election, Afzal, especially if Boris Johnson finds his way back into number 10? Let me first start to say, you know, the fact that we're discussing the possibility of Boris Johnson coming back itself, I think, shows how difficult it, uh, the Conservative Party are, are in. Uh, this, it seems to me a total mess. As someone, you know, who's just been pushed out, someone who's been a proven liar, someone who's already still being investigated, the only prime minister in the history who's got a criminal record, you could say, as well. Uh, and so many of them are MPs are now already offering to resign. How does that go down? How does that help? I, I, and I don't see this actually taking us forward. So uh, will it take us forward now. towards early elections then? The difficulty at the moment is the Conservative Party do have that majority and they can see the risk to their own self and their party. And that proves the fundamental point that they're putting their self and their party before the interests of the country. Whereas we can see the whole chaos they have created, and it's one thing after another. They just you see a bar, and then you can suddenly see another lower bar, and then another lower bar, and they're making us as a laughing stock. And at the same time, millions of ordinary people are suffering as a result of their policies. All right, uh, Peter. I guess what we're getting at here with Afzal's comments is the Conservatives are not going to break ranks and push, or none of them will be open to the idea of early elections because. They know Labour's way ahead. Well, that's certainly true, that if there was election tomorrow morning, based on the polls as they are now, the Tories would not actually get a single seat. Um, now, obviously, this is midterm and, and things uh, can change. And that means that the, there is no incentive, there's every incentive to, for the Conservatives to avoid an election. But the fact remains, and as well, you know, it's impossible to disagree with him, but the Conservative Party has caused uh, chaos, ec financial chaos, looming economic chaos. People are going to start losing their uh, jobs. Mortgages are, getting, are rising. Uh, and they are 
are chaotic, they're unfit for government, everybody can see that. Uh, and I think that they're in danger of losing their legitimacy. And to try and, as going back to Alex Dean's point, Boris Johnson is currently favourite to return. It's, I wonder ultimately whether they might see sense on this. I mean, in a period of financial emergency, which is where we are now, to put Boris Johnson, who is not a stable figure, he's the candidate of chaos, uh, back in charge, will start to frighten the financial markets. And I have noted that the prospect of a potential Johnson return has already uh, sent uh, yields rising in the gilts market, the market in British government debt. The candidate well, of chaos, one, the expression there. I want, yeah, actually, I was going to come to you, Alex, and say, it, are some yeah. of these divisions yeah. really, if we're talking about, maybe we need to explain why the Conservative Party is so divided. Does it go back to Brexit, go back to the unfinished business of Brexit? And has there been something of a hollowing out of government, of ministers, of the most experienced ilk, because they were perceived to be on the wrong side of Brexit? Well, there's certainly been some tension in the post-Brexit environment. And I, I think, too, there was a bit of that in the um, very strong push against Boris Johnson, especially in the uh, latter days of his premiership. But we, we've also got a, you know, been very consensual so far. So now we've, we've got a bit of disagreement because I, I would point, I was listening carefully to what Peter said, and, and I would point, first of all, to the fact that, I mean, no one can pretend that the current circumstances are good. We've had four chancellors in four months in the UK. No one can dress that up and pretend uh, that it's a positive. But there are significant economic headwinds against every developed economy. Inflation is rampant across Europe. Interest rates are rising across the developed world. And a lot of that is not to do with whoever occupies number 10 Downing Street and number 11, our Chancellor. I, I would also point out that Jeremy Hunt's uh, arrival, I mean, I, look, I, I didn't vote for him when he was a candidate for leader. His politics are not mine. But his arrival uh, was one of the bright points of the brief Liz Truss premiership. It was welcomed by the markets and it does look a good deal like he will remain Chancellor, whoever wins uh, the Conservative leader part, leadership party's contest. So I, I wouldn't quite go so far as to say the things that Peter has said about the future. In fact, I think a lot of the economic fundamentals in the UK are better than some of our uh, European neighbours. And if you're comparing us to what's happening at the moment in France, Germany, Italy, Spain, the UK isn't some basket case outlier. In fact, the UK is doing rather well. And that's one of the reasons the G7 uh, group has seen the UK forecast by the MF have uh, higher growth rates than uh, the rest of its Hang peers. On, Alex, so, you know, it's not quite what he painted. All right, let, let's have a look at some of the, the stats that we've got here because there's, there's obviously a lot of different stats about how well or differently the UK is doing compared to other European or other countries. And the political instability has been bad for the UK economy. I think there's no doubt about that. And it was already struggling because of Brexit, if you follow some of the charts, the economic graphs. Look at this one. The British pound falling significantly against the dollar and taking its hardest hit in the past month after Liz Truss's controversial mini budget, but it's been on the decline since Brexit, basically. Look at this one. The UK's international business also suffering. Its total trade as a share of GDP falling by 8%, 8% since 2019. And the latest research suggests Brexit has cost the UK economy nearly $35 billion. 5% smaller, we're told, the economy is at the end of last year than it would have been had Britain remained in the EU. Peter Oborn, 
is Britain just one of many countries suffering the economic consequences of, I don't know, COVID, the war in Ukraine? Or is there a particular price Britain is paying for its political decisions, whether it's Brexit or people coming in and out of number 10? There's three factors you seem to have identified there. Um, the first is there's global headwinds. We can see that. And uh, Alex Dean is quite right to point to that. Then you have what uh, is now being called by uh, the Financial Times and others, the so-called moron factor in British uh, politics, i.e. that the Conservative Party is so out of control and employs such low-key, low-caliber figures to embark on sort of deranged economic experiments that the markets no longer trust uh, the British uh, government to manage sensibly. Now, uh, and the third is the general effect of Brexit going back to uh, 2016, and that's undeniable. You, you can't challenge the figures which you've just read out. But the, the, to deal with the current situation, we're dealing with the idiot factor, as it were, it, 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 absolute collapse, chaos at the top of the Conservative Party, clearly unfit uh, to, to, to run the local corner shop, let alone uh, a G7 global economy. Uh, and that is the why I think you have seen significantly and Alex will have to accept this, that the guilt market is taking fright at the prospect of Boris Johnson uh, re returning to his lazy, incompetent, mendacious, deceitful uh, school of government, which we had three years of from uh, summer 2019 till to, uh, he was thrown out uh, three months ago. Afsal, some of the, the stats look specifically like the CPB looking specifically the volume of UK goods exports falling 14% in the three months to January 2021, at a time when the global average was an actual rise of 8.2%. When you, when you compare the UK in some ways to the global economy, the UK is kind of singled out, isn't it, for poor performance? Well, I think this is it. I mean, we've just heard from Alex, he's trying to push the whole thing on the global situation. The truth is, this whole thing has been hit to us because of the government's policies. This is when the, the pound went into free world, when the mortgage rates went up. Uh, and if you look at that around of what is happening to the families, then you realize that millions of families are now struggling. And the reason is you've got inflation, which has gone now to 10.1%. You've got the energy prices going up. You've got the food prices going up. On the other side, you have 12 years of stagnation uh, with the wages. That's what uh, is causing the difficulties Sammy, for us all. And this, the confidence in the market isn't there at all. And that's why these uh, rates Sammy, are this, going up and up. All right. This conversation is getting Let's give Alex strange. a chance. Go, go ahead, Alex. I can see you're shaking your head. This conversation is getting a bit, uh, this conversation is getting a bit strange. Both Afsal and Peter are right that the mini-budgets announced by the last Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, spooked the markets. There's no denying that. But inflation is running higher in every major European economy than it is in the UK. So it's very peculiar to, for them to, to for anyone to suggest from your premise that um, the UK is doing worse than peers. And you, you cherry pick a, a single quarter from two years ago, if I heard you right, to try to demonstrate it. Of course, it's very particularly difficult for us, as you've been referring to graphs, which I assume are on screen. But as you know, your guests down the line can't see what you've got on screen in the studio. So it's rather difficult to rebut that. But I rather, I rather doubt that if you're tracking the euro's performance against the dollar, you're going to see a hugely different performance to sterling's. I accept that the mini budget 
uh, that we had in Liz Truss's uh, premiership um, spooked sterling as well as spooking uh, markets generally. But more broadly, that is not true. The, the, the phenomenon in international markets is the dollar being so strong, not the pound being so weak. And if you compare that with the euro or with the yen or other currencies, you'll see an equal underperformance against the dollar. And indeed, the yen is now at its lowest low against the dollar, unlike the pound. So I think um, there is a moment at which you have to say to yourself, this conversation got a bit weird. Well, well, the and the part, charts are up there with the sources. Really viewers, like viewers can. We haven't pulled anything out of a, you know, there's no magic rabbits out of hats here. So I know there's yes, a lot I'm of opinions you, on this. Your viewers can see it, but can, I can't. Everybody can, you know that. Everybody can have a look at it and make up their own mind. That, that, yes, but Peter, I can't. I can't see it, can I, Sammy? You're referring to something that I can't see. OK, well, I've read it out to you, and if, if there's any issue that you have uh, with that, you have way, a chance uh, to get to have your word in. Go, go ahead, Peter. Generally speaking, though, the, 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 uh, the British performance of the sterling in gilt markets, etc., was aberrant yeah. after the, um, the shambolic mini-budget. Alex... Dean can't get away from that. But by the way, we yeah. should we should give a hard time to Afsal as well. You you reeled out those statistics about the effect of Brexit on the economy and trade. Mm. And now these are all Labour Party policies as well. The Labour Party uh, it doesn't challenge uh, Brexit. It, it says that it was a good thing and it has to live with it. And so Labour has not offered a different set of policies i.e. we want to rejoin the single market or whatever they may be, uh, than the Conservative government. So Afsal's claim that the Conservatives uh, are uniquely poor in, uh, in their economic prognosis over the last uh, seven years is, is, it, it, it doesn't really merit scrutiny because... Labour has not diverged from those policies. Right, that's, that, that's a fair criticism, well, isn't it, Afsal? The, the fact is, no, Labour no, no, also sorry, have a few that. divisions let me, let me, in their me, closet, don't they? they? have a few division demons in the closet yeah. where it comes to not only Brexit, the issue of union strikes, voter reform. There are a few divisive issues in the Labour Party if it were, make, it were to make it to a general election and, and take helm of the country. First of all, let's deal with the Brexit. I'm not saying that everything what I said was to do with the Brexit. In fact, it doesn't make sense. Because what I'm trying to say here is, how come, you know, we've got such a high in, inflation, then I'm talking about also 12 years of wage stagnation. And how is it that for the last 12 years, the lowest growth in the last 200 years, Surely, this is not all about Brexit. There are other factors, and I'm driving home the simple point. It's the chaos at the heart of this government who are failing now to deal with the Brexit issue as well, because the whole idea of the Brexit of the Conservatives have been pushing us is the oven ready, baked ready, everything is going to be fine. Uh, OK, you've but made that point, Afsal, but the question now is Labour also has its divisions and doesn't have, could be criticised, has been criticised for not having a clear vision when it comes to some of these issues, whether it's Brexit, whether it's position on union strikes and voter reform and so on. True or false? No, I don't accept that. I mean, look, we had our position. The whole country was divided on Brexit. There was half who wanted to be remain and half who wanted to leave. Look, yeah, that yeah, but is as a party false. wants that's to make history. it to power, we you've got to have a policy, that. haven't you? And that's been one of the criticisms yeah, of, we, of all the major we, we parties. Have. We, we have. We have a clear policy that we now accept the result 
which we have got through the referendum. But what I'm objecting to now is that mm. this government is failing to even move forward with this, because what we should be thinking about is how quickly can we really build up this economic relationship with our neighbors, have them good and strong? How do we go into the Commonwealth, have those facilities improve that? How do we go to the wider world? Now, if you're too busy fighting one another, creating chaos, you can't do that. And that is the failure of okay, this Okay, we've got one minute left. I want to try and give it to Peter. Final thought here. An opinion piece in the New York Times today entitled Britain is a global laughing stock. What is all this turmoil doing to Britain's standing in the world? Yeah, we, we, you know, Britain uh, was greatly respected uh, around the world, member of G7 and the U UN Security Council. Uh, respected as a sort of responsible economic uh, management. Uh, I know we are, it's awfully sad, just read any foreign paper, really. Look at the Spiegel today, uh, and we are mocked. And this is the result of uh, right. the chaos, the ruling Conservative Party, no, no getting away from it. All right, Alex, in 30 seconds. Peter will forgive me for not having seen Der Spiegel today, although I can't help but note that Olaf Schultz is facing some serious charges relating to his time as mayor of Hamburg, which makes uh, me wonder about Germany's future too. But I mean, anybody who's observed media coverage of the UK in the last few years will know quite how obsessed and bizarre the New York Times' coverage has been in its negativity about the UK. And for that to be a proof point to me just demonstrates that you know, there's a kind of jihad in the post-Brexit environment against the UK per se, of which that is one of the foremost exemplars. So I'm afraid it's not something that, that carries much water with me. All right, we're going to leave it there. Thank you all for expressing your opinions on that one. Afsal Khan, Peter Oborn and Alex Dean. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Joseph John, Kara Legg, Raed Bedoui and Jimmy Getahan. Studio sound was by Sento Marimutu. The programme was edited by Alexander Kola, Lynn Gwynn and Jodie Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again on Friday. Thank you.